0: It's December 14th, 1969, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca and Ali. The Retrospectors.
2: If today in history in 1969, you liked the sound of Broadway's newest musical, La Strada... you thought you'd catch it when the hype had died down you would be seriously out of luck because Lestrada both opened and closed in a single performance taking its place in the pantheon of one night only broadway disasters alongside such luminaries as cleavage home sweet homer and ring around the bathtub
1: i want to see most of those
2: (laughs) i think i can probably guess which one you'd most want to see i mean crazily
1: the 1969 to 1970 season saw three musicals close on opening night. In addition to Lestrada there was the Crimean War musical Blood Red Roses which also had the same director Alan Schneider. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's astonishing in a way that you'd let it open. Like, if you know that you're going to close it, and presumably, you know, this show did actually have 12 previews, so it wasn't the only time that it was performed in front of a proper audience. But it was its actual legitimate opening li- night. And you'd think you'd just cancel the whole thing without having to subject yourself to the ignominy of having to open and
1: then immediately close. Well, it doesn't really ever happen now that a show closes on its opening night. But the reason it used to happen then is kind of nice in a way, which is that it didn't used to cost as much to put a show on Broadway. I mean, it was kind of mortgage your house money, but it wasn't you need (laughs) a billionaire money. (laughs) So people were willing to take more of a punt on new ideas. And also box office didn't book up in advance like it does these days. Then it was possible if your show opened on a Tuesday night, if it was a hit, for the box office revenue to then come in from the Wednesday and that would keep you afloat. And if it didn't because you had bad reviews the box office was not there to sustain it because you had no more cash in the bank.
2: Mm. Yeah, there was like an interestingly fluid quality to Broadway in the era that is just astounding. There was a blog from a guy called Ron Fessler who went to one of the preview performances and he described going backstage to get Bernadette Peters who was a rising star at this time. She was 21 years old. He wanted her to sign his programme except it wasn't a programme. It was a single sheet with a cast list on it and apparently this was once a common sight on Broadway and it was the classic sign of a troubled musical because it indicated that songs are being chopped and changed so much up to the last moment and even after opening night sometimes that they didn't go to the trouble of printing a programme because it would be full of inaccuracies by the time you got it. So it was literally just a sheet saying this is who we think is going to be in it probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well you'd think that it could have worked considering all of the ingredients that were behind it. It was based on an Oscar winning masterpiece the stage version was being directed by the then great Alan Schneider as we said and it had dances that had been (laughs) created by a, a really popular and successful choreographer Alvin Ailey and of course best of all the songs were by Lionel Bart who was responsible for pretty much the greatest British musical of the decade which was Oliver. So you'd think that all of
1: that swirling talent would have contributed to a hit unfortunately it didn't. Yeah I mean it's amazing just how difficult it is I think to create a brilliant musical. I mean, I think creating an adequate musical is probably easier than creating such a terrible musical as this obviously was. <laughs> but nonetheless, you can't look at the ingredients and think, oh, well, that's going to be a hit. And I, I looked into this when we were doing our Jesus Christ Superstar episode. I read Andrew Lloyd Webber's memoirs. And, you know, even for him at the height of his powers, like between Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita, he wrote Jeeves, which again, the ingredients seemed perfect, based mm. on P.G. Woodhouse with his permission book by Alan Akebourne, music by Andrew Lloyd Webber in the late 70s, and it was a complete turkey that managed somehow to make B.G. Woodhouse chronically unfunny. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, you look at the cast and the crew. I mean, you mentioned Bernadette Peters, massive Broadway star she went on to be as well. And, yeah, Schneider, the director... The thing was, he was mostly known for directing sort of artsy two-handers by Beckett and Pinter. He'd never done a big musical. This had a cast of 30 in a revolving stage, so maybe he was a bit out of his depth.
2: <laughs> you do get the sense that Schneider maybe did have some doubts. There was a report in the New York Times about the first day of rehearsals, and they they talked to him about the fact that he hasn't done a musical before, and in what reads as a really clear attempt to gee himself up, he says... I have absolutely no ear, but a great sense of rhythm. I've gone to musicals all my life. And then he just (laughs) spontaneously lists his three favourite musicals, which I feel is something a confident musicals director wouldn't do. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of people blamed the failure of the musical on the bleakness of the story. Mm. And it's true. It's no Hello Dolly. It's about a (laughs) simple-minded girl who gets sold to a circus, mistreated, then the strong man she falls in love with, murders the only person who treats her kindly and then leaves her to die by a roadside. Mm. Sure, it's not allowed for a minute, but if you look at stuff, you know, Lame is also not very funny, Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar, like there are lots of stories that have become successful musicals that do have a very bleak plot on the surface. But
0: maybe it's also because it coincided with one of Bart's lowest ebbs. He had the success of Oliver behind him, which made him famous. But by this stage, critics had already begun whispering that uh, that this guy was going to be a one-hit wonder and he was determined to prove them wrong in ways that unfortunately for him, weren't really hitting. So he had two follow-ups uh, to Oliver. The first was Blitz! <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much! It's
2: like the perfect mid-century musical <laughs> So good. <laughs> uh,
0: and then Maggie May. Both of those performed respectably, but then, uh, despite the advice of of his friends he actually sold the rights for oliver to fund a new musical about robin hood
2: and can he- i please tell you what I, can i please describe <laughs> the title it.
0: yeah <laughs> do it
2: okay so so blitz had an exclamation point maggie may didn't have an exclamation point With so he
1: needed an exclamation point he
2: put two after the title of his next musical the impeccably named musical about robin hood that was called twang <laughs> i
1: just i love it i love the show and Ronnie Corbett was in it and Barbara Windsor. Yeah. I mean, what a show. Yeah.
2: The, well, the production was so chaotic. The production was actually probably more chaotic than La On opening night, the musical director collapsed from exhaustion. Wow. Two musical numbers were cut moments before the curtain rose, and apparently audience members could overhear arguments backstage <laughs> as the cast and crew tried to muddle their way through it.
1: <laughs> I mean, underneath all of these unsuccessful enterprises, sorry to sour the mood, everybody, was Lionel Bart's drama addiction which was actually possibly what was to blame for the failure here as well he didn't even make it over to broadway to be part of the pre-production process Mm. and by the time lestrada opened i think two or three at the most of his songs were in the final lineup all of the other songs had been written or rewritten by a different songwriting team elliot lawrence and martin sharnin so it wasn't even lionel bart's musical anymore and the reason for that was he was at a very low ebb because of all of those failures and the humiliation of having sold the rights to his biggest hit. Uh, Just a few weeks after uh, Twang opened, he was arrested for driving his Bentley around Piccadilly Circus the wrong way while drunk. Mm. And when they arrested him, in the car was a doctor's bag, and on the side, in gold lettering, it said Bart's Hospital, which was full of different medications, (laughs) legal and illegal. So, I mean, you know... He'd had an incredible meteoric rise having come from relative poverty as an untrained musician who couldn't read or write music and yet became the first person to have three West End musicals running, this huge star.
2: Yeah, the way he wrote Oliver was that he worked with a composer called Eric Rogers, and Bart would hum the tunes and Rogers would write them down as musical notes because Bart couldn't do it.
0: But meanwhile, over in New York, all of these uh, holes that he had left in the script, hoping to resolve them as he went along, were being plugged by writers who had been brought on for the purpose of trying to actually deliver this thing for opening night. So, you know, his act actual involvement by the end was fairly limited, which I suppose is a thing that you could tell yourself is at least mitigating in terms of the fact that it bombed. But I think, you know, the, the damage done to his career by the fact that he was so sort of uh, missing from the production would have been problematic in its own right.
1: And I think he took the flack for its failure because he was the biggest name involved with it, even though actually, as we've said, the final show wasn't really that much to do with him. Clive Barnes in the New York Times... Uh, publishing the review that kind of killed off the show the following morning. The book is weak and the music and lyrics by Lionel Bart, doesn't mention the co-writers, are undistinguished to the point of Muzak-like oblivion.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because I assumed that this would be a total savaging of the show. You know, this was the review that basically was responsible for it closing on opening night. But actually, I would say it was a mixed review on the whole I mean he spends most of the article praising the production you know, he praises the direction by Alan Schneider the staging and the acting he obviously highlights Bernadette Peters but then he goes on to say that these can only ever be quote fringe benefits in a musical you know if the if the songs aren't there then you don't really have a show and of course by the next day they did not have a show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the show lost $650,000 which is equivalent to nearly five million pounds today and yeah went down in history as the biggest flop ever on broadway which is for me just a reason to check
0: it out well it was revived at a theater in richmond in london uh just a couple of years ago and got pretty decent reviews actually but it sounded like they'd reworked quite
1: a lot of the stuff that just hadn't worked the first time around i want to know what the <laughs> reworked version was does jelsamina <laughs> not die on the road anymore does she jump up and say consider yourself <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> tomorrow Dig me up at the request of an author, take my body across three different boats, parade me around Paris, and then inter me not by the banks of the Seine. <laughs> Ditch the
0: ads and get a Sunday episode when you
1: join Club
0: Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.